Breaking the cycle to step forward. Authentic conversations from lived experience and a professional perspective in overcoming abuse with Chris Tuck and Beverly Ann. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Breaking the Cycle to Step Forward. I'm Beverly Ann, and I'm with the lovely Chris Tuck. Hi, everyone. Hello. And today's episode is number 34, and it's People in Positions of Power and trust and sadly how they break or abuse their positions and they break that trust and there's currently a lot going on in the social media isn't there Chris at the moment yeah and media generally um, about police officers actually at the moment using their positions of power as you said to evoke that trust because we should be able to trust our police officers So there's that trust that's just accepted by the public with the police, in many cases, not all cases, and the police then, some police officers, using that position of trust to overstep boundaries and actually abuse, rape, sexually assault females is what I've heard about at the moment, but I'm sure there are male victims out there as well. Absolutely. And just to make this clear, um, you are actually married to a policeman yourself, aren't you? I am, yes. Um, He's done nearly 30 years service. So I, I might come across as biased, but I'm not. I've been through the criminal justice system myself for five years. So I know what a good officer looks like. And I know what a poor officer looks like in terms of their work and helping and supporting or not victim and survivors through the criminal justice system so even though the one that I'm married to is a good one a good guy I also know from my own experience and from what other victim survivors have told us um, over the years that there are some that have abused their positions of power and it's really it's resonating, isn't it, through all of social media and media at the moment that there are many yes. out there and there's many more cases to come. Yes. And I heard a comment uh, the other day about what is this? Is this a witch hunt? And I said, absolutely not. What it is, is people are actually being bought to task. They're actually facing the consequences of their actions in a way that has been hidden in the past. We've seen this and we've spoken about this in other institutions. We spoke about this when we did this special edition about the ICSA report. We've looked at institutions such as um, religious or faith institutions. Um, We've looked at different places like that. And now we are bringing to justice some serving people in power that are abusing their position of power and it's got to stop. Yeah, I mean, as you said, we've seen it in Westminster. There's been people held to account. We've seen it, as you said, in the religious settings. We've seen it in schools. We've seen it in every single institution you could think about. It is everywhere. And this is what we say, don't we, Beverly, all the time. Abusers, perpetrators can be anybody. Victims, survivors can be anybody. There's not not one community 
out there that hasn't got perpetrators within them. So we're talking today about how can we now trust these different institutions when we need to go to them for help, for support, or to help us, you know, with the crime that's been committed against us? How can we trust if the trust is broken time and time again? And, and this is the hardest one because, you know, another another area of people in power or certainly in trust are celebrities. Yeah. You know, we will only mention by name those people who have actually been convicted. Yeah. But I don't know about you, I was shocked as well. You know, Rolf Harris. Yeah, I mean, everybody grew up with Rolf Harris, didn't they? And everybody sort of like looked up to him as, well, like any celebrity, we look up to them as role models, don't we? And yes. we hold them in this sort of like high esteem. And then when they fall from grace because of the, the crimes they've committed, like you said, we're like, oh, yeah, just can't and believe it. Yeah, R. Kelly, you know, yes. he's another one. I've always loved his music. And then it brings in that that element of do I stop playing his music? Yeah. You know, and it, it really is a challenging one, isn't it? And also, if we're trusting people, we've worked hard to be able to trust because trust yeah. is huge and it's something we tackled in our second episode. We, When I say tackled, we spoke about it and yeah. we will obviously come back to that again in other episodes. But to have these people that we look up to, that we respect, you know, even in the police force that we respect and find that, our trust is being broken, that's that's triggering on another layer, isn't it, Chris? It is, but what's really important is the fact that the light is being shone and the systemic nature of the offending or the culture of the institution has to be challenged and it has to change in order for us to get trust back in, you know, for us to feel that trust again. And the fact that serving police officers who are offenders are being convicted are having the book thrown at them literally that will build some trust because it's been seen as being brushed under the carpet for a very very long time lots of people have been speaking out about it but it's not been tackled and now we can actually see it being tackled so it's going to get worse before it gets better like anything but that's how positive and constructive change comes about by shining the light acknowledging the problem and actually doing something about it being accountable for it and just going you know what yes we've had a problem it is systemic we're really really sorry and we are actually taking action against those that are committing crimes and we've also got to think about like I shared with everybody last week when I said my dad is a convicted paedophile because he is, yeah? Yes. Um, and then me being tainted or feeling tainted by his actions, which are nothing to do with me. But you've got to think of every single institution as well. Where a light's been shone on offenders within the institution, 
those people left behind, i.e. other serving police officers in this case, they are feeling really awkward. They're feeling disgusted. They're feeling ashamed of those amongst them that are offenders. So I can really relate on that level with them because everybody in society, and I've heard it myself and I've said it myself, you know, we go, oh, the police, as in all police, oh, all, you know, um, clergy, as in all clergy. No, we've got to stop that. We've got to put it into perspective. Yes, there are many sexual offenders in all institutions. However, that we should not be tarring everybody with the same brush because I know what that feels like. And I am very careful now with my language around that. Yes, we need to throw the book at and make accountable those offenders within all institutions, whatever that institution is, but we shouldn't be tarring everybody with the same brush. No, and, and this comes back to the media as well, social media, the mainstream yeah. media. We did a podcast um, not so long ago talking about the language yeah. in the media and what they use. And actually what's really fantastic now is, and I do say fantastic, and I know some people think, is that the right word to say? But it means people are having the courage to actually want to, within news and some programmes, investigate sexual abuse, sexual violence, rape, and understand it more. And yeah. you've been invited a couple of times, re just recently, um, twice within a couple of weeks, onto um, Talk TV, haven't you? Yeah, with uh, Claudia Lisa. Um, she's obviously a presenter on Talk TV on Saturdays. And she spoke about, she spoke to me, probably about a month ago, about Gary Glitter, a.k.a. Paul Gad, or the other way, Paul Gad is the sexual offender, a.k.a. Gary Glitter. The As we know him. Owner, yeah. Um, to speak about he might be released soon. And we're like, no, no, he shouldn't be all up in arms and all everything like that, as we should be. Because to me, if someone's given a sentence of 16 years, they should be serving 16 years. And I never understood why they would be only serving at half of that sentence. And the reason being, before 2022, it was a sentence given, half of it would be within incarceration, within a prison, and then the other half would be out in society, getting used to being back and rehabilitated back into society so that is what a sentence looks like and I think many of us don't actually understand that yeah and when people are out on on license that's what they call it when they come out they're on license there are many restrictions that can be placed upon them so they might be tagged they might have curfews they might have to sign in at a police station for example every single day um, every single case is, is different. But the thing is, Beverly, a lot of people don't understand this. And this has come up time and time again, and I've read about it. When convicted sexual offenders come out of prison and they're on probation, they can easily change their name by deed poll online like that, right? And then if the probation service is not keeping an eye on them, they're relying on the sexual offender to turn up to report, not the other way around. 
and I'm not saying all cases are like this, but some cases are, the sexual offender has to report. If they change their name, they could just disappear into the ether. And this has happened and continues to happen. And then probation can't keep tabs on them. So then you've got these convicted sexual offenders out there that have changed their name and they can go on to reoffend with impunity. So and they get DBS clearance as well. Um, Sarah's law, yeah, yeah, Sarah's law. They can't be followed up. But you know the Soham murderer. Yes, I've forgotten his name. I can't think of it at the moment, it and I don't want to say the wrong name. But that's exactly he murdered Holly and Jess, Jessica. Yes. Yeah, um, he changed his name, and he yeah. got the job in the school, and then he went on to as we. No, murder the two girls. Yeah. And uh, and if I understand correctly, there was a sexual element involved yes. in that as well. Um, so we're not making this up. We've got cases to back it up. So our friend Della Wright, for example, she's got this um, law that she wants changed. And it's called Della's Law. And it's to stop convicted sexual offenders from changing their name. OK, quite simple, you would think. That would pass through Parliament like that, wouldn't it? It's got the backing of Sarah Champion MP and it's been debated and it got turned down. Um, The Parliament did look into it, okay? They did a report on it and basically they turned around to Sarah Champion and Della and um, Survivors Alliance who are backing all of this. They turned around and said to them, we've looked into it, Um, we... um, we know where the where the system's not working um, and we're going to work on that, but we're not going to publish the report because you don't need to know about it. Absolutely do need to know about it. On, on what, where is that okay? How is that okay that we, we've asked you to do something and you're expecting us to trust you yes. to have done the work or to, you know... What, where was your system broken and what have you done to make the system work? And publish a report, please, because we want to see and verify that you've done it. And also, it's like anything, it's like while we're doing this podcast, it's to enable people to have an awareness and yeah. an education. And yeah. if you have that, it means with knowledge, we are able to prevent other children vulnerable people from being abused yeah yeah and it gives us reassurance and validation that everyone's being heard and the systems are changing that we can still trust the police that we can still trust the majority of the people that are celebrities that are talented etc but when somebody goes forward and says this is what's happened to me. They need to be believed by a trusted person and know that there is support there. And also that there are things in place for anyone who is convicted because it's no good convicting someone if they're able to just change their name and then disappear. Absolutely. So before we go any further, Chris, yeah, we've got an opportunity for your recording to be heard if you'd just like to introduce us when i say introduce us lead us into this recording so that people can understand the setting yep so claudia lisa was talking about um 
sexual offenders, convicted sexual offenders only doing half their sentence and how is that okay? And what can we do about it? So that was the gist of the conversation. And I just went on there to sort of like share my views really with Claudia Lisa. Thank you. And we'll come back after this. So he is a disgraced former pop star, paedophile Gary Glitter has been freed from prison after serving, as I've said, just half of his jail term. He's 78 years old. His real name is Paul Gad. And he was sentenced in 2015 for the attempted rape, uh, for attempted rape, four counts of indecent assault and one of having sex with a girl under 13. Now, I'm sure many of you will remember, I remember he was a big star in the 1970s. However, uh, later on in his life, there was a number of allegations, concerns, fears uh, around his behaviour. Many, many uh, worrying things about his behaviour. It was after actually everything came out about Jimmy Savile. There was a huge investigation team that started looking into other uh, issues concerning people in the spotlight and their own criminal behaviours and activities. So yes, eventually, I mean, he was caught with indecent uh, pictures, uh, images on his computer at one point, but then eventually he was convicted of sexually assaulting uh, schoolgirls. So his youngest victim had been less than 10 years old. He crept into her bed and tried to assault her in 1975. But a Ministry of Justice spokesperson uh, said that sex offenders like Paul Gad are closely monitored by the police and probation officers and face them with the strictest licence conditions. Really? We're talking about the, the same probation officers who who allowed uh, somebody to go go unnoticed they were considered a medium risk when it should have been a high risk and they went on to to kill children. And then the probation officer coming out, the head of probation is coming out to say that they're under pressure. It's Killamash. Killamash story I'm talking about. The head of probation coming out to say they were under pressure, which is why mistakes were made. So does that leave you much confidence? Oh no, Gad will not be added to the sex offenders reg register for these crimes because they were committed before the registry was introduced. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. However, he was already ordered to sign the register for life when he returned to the UK after he was found guilty of sexually abusing two young girls in Vietnam in 2006 and at the time of sentencing back in 2015 uh, the judge said that he could find no real evidence that Gad had atoned for his crimes he described his abuse of a girl under 10 as appalling and said it's difficult to overstate the depravity of this dreadful behavior so this is the man that's out couldn't even pretend. He couldn't even pretend to, to feel for what he did. And it's now understood 
that poor gad, Gary Glitter. He's going to live near 10 schools in suburban in a suburban bail hostel. He was whisked away from prison under the cover of darkness in a cloak and dagger plan. It says here for his release, which took uh, two weeks, just took just weeks, excuse me, to prepare. And it saw him, Gary Glitter, ducking down in the back of a car, escorted by a number of police officers. And this allegedly took place in the middle of the night, actually, about one, one thirty in the morning. So the Sun's reporting that that Glitter was taken to an unnamed bail hostel hours away from the prison, but just at short notice and just a short distance from 10 schools. How worried should we be? How worried are you? How are you feeling about the fact that convicted a sex, and he's not going on the, on the list, but he's a sex offender. He's a paedophile, only serving half of his sentence. I'd really love you to get in touch with me on this as well, actually. 0344 tweet me at Claudia Liza TV, tweet at Talk TV. Uh, let's speak to Chris Tuck. She's a survivor and activist. Uh, we had her on just a few weeks ago ahead of uh, Gary Glitter being released. There was so much, so many concerns. Lola Hope that actually this wouldn't go ahead. Sadly, it has. But Chris Tuck does join me now. Thanks so much for joining me again, Chris. I'm, so ha I'm sorry to have you on. Really, I really wish that I didn't have to have you on and this wasn't happening. Uh, what was your reaction when you, you got the news that, number one, it was happening and actually he has now. Gary Glitter, the paedophile, is now released and apparently living near 10 schools. There's no words really to express how the public feel about this. If you lo look across all of social media, people are literally in uproar and can't understand why a convicted sexual offender for 16 years, he got a sentence for 16 years. Why is he not serving that? People do not understand. And the way that the law is, he got a fixed term sentence. As you said, he only served half of that. Now, if he was convicted under the public, um, the Police Crime Sentence and Courts Act in 2022, he would have been made to serve two thirds of his sentence. Mm. So anybody now will have to serve two thirds of their sentence if their sentence is more than four years. However, because he was convicted before that, you can't make go back and, you know, and apply that to him. Um, but there was outrage from society, from the public, so that has now changed, which is a good thing. Mm. How safe do we feel um, children are around Paul Gadd? They're not. He can't change. He's got a rap sheet as long as your arm. As you said, 4,000 child sexual abuse images. He got four months of that in 1999. Four months. He then went on, he got expelled from Cambodia in 2002 because of allegations. He got convicted in Vietnam in 2006 and then he got convicted in the UK in 2015. Guys like him, in my opinion, do not change. They are a danger to our children. So the probation service, they may be inundated, they may be overwhelmed, but with people like him, they have to step up and they have to protect. And as you said, because he was convicted by, uh, before the sexual offenders register came in to operation, he couldn't be added to that. My dad is a convicted paedophile and he 
got convicted before that register came in, into play. So he was not on that register. There are so many offenders that are not on that register. But Gad is now on the register because of these convictions mm. in 2015. So at least we can not be rest assured, but just know that he's not getting away with it completely. Like my dad, for example. God knows if he's gone on to offend. And also what I want to bring to your attention and to the public's attention is that people can change their name and go on to offend without impunity because Della's law that needs to be enacted by Parliament and isn't at the moment, we need to stop convicted sexual offenders from changing their name because when they can change their name they can go on to get employment and go on to offend so that's something else that needs to be really chased up and activated in order to protect children there's nothing stopping Paul Gadd from changing his name and if he's not under probation services who's looking out for the people that have changed their name so they're not so, Chris, I, I used to work for Associated Press, uh, yeah. which is, how can I describe it? It's a, a news agency, and they have either ringers or journos or work closely with uh, news providers within different countries. And so they get videos and they send it over to places like Sky News, BBC, whatever. As a, as a producer, uh, I'd get these stories in, these videos in. I'd have to cut it, you know, write a description and, and they'll pass it on to, to whoever. So they, they're basically selling pictures and videos. And I'll do overnights because I was a mum and d doing the school run in the day, getting my daughter to school at the time I just had one was perfect for me. And so working overnight, I got in a lot of Interpol uh, call-outs, Interpol uh, warrants and uh, manhunt or woman hunt, whatever the case may be. And so they would give it, my boss would give it to me a lot. And invariably, the main type of people they were looking for were people they wanted to speak to, either paedophiles or people they wanted to speak to in connection to allegations of paedophilia. Uh, in the end, I had to tell my boss, hey, hey, no more. Okay, it was it was awful. It just you know, yeah. it wasn't. I, they'll just describe the cases who they're looking for, and what I realised is the pattern, uh, the pattern of wanting to always be around children and will work with children no matter what. Face painters, do you know what I mean? Clowns, whatever. It will just sometimes be you know the type type of jobs you wouldn't even think twice uh, about it. So parents out there, just look out. Any job, anywhere mm -hmm. where adults can work with children. You're just going to have to always have an eye out, which I know is going to be difficult for parents out there. Uh, and as you were pertaining to, they cannot stop. And I'd even watch interviews uh, with Interpol, with police, and talk, uh, see them talking about the inability of not being able to be away from children. So, and this is a very little, this is the very little I had to cover this and I asked to stop because it was very upsetting but me knowing this I I don't understand why more isn't put in place by authorities when it comes to watching sex offenders child sex offenders what needs to be done what what needs to happen when a sex offender is released and I do appreciate that it could cost a lot of money could cost a lot of money a lot of resources but hey it's, it's children we're talking about here yeah. 
In my opinion, the tagging is always a good thing as long as the tagging is definitely monitored and reviewed and they know where these sexual offenders, convicted sexual offenders, are at all times. Yep. Mm. Often it's left up to the sexual offender to check in with the probation officer. They, they might not. And if they change their name, they can then just get off scot-free and go and live their lives, as I said, offend without impunity. Yep. That has to stop. We need to actually, if we're going to say to the public, you are safe, these people are monitored, they need to prove it because they've actually proved that there are many sexual offenders that are not monitored and they're up, they are out there within our communities and some of them may not have gone on to offend, but many would have because they can't stop, in my opinion. And when you speak to other professionals as well, you will get some that's, that will say, yeah, people can change. Not in my experience do these convicted sexual offenders change. What what can people do to protect that? Is it even... What, what it's, hard. it's hard. It's hard. But what we, we don't obviously want to um, not trust everybody that's in our mm. children's lives because that's going to be a miserable existence. But at the same time, we can't bury our heads in the sand and pretend this stuff doesn't happen. Child sexual abuse is so prevalent, so prevalent, and people don't want to talk about it. We've, we've had this conversation before. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to acknowledge it. And that's the first problem. We need to accept that it is. Well, Chris, I have to say, when I listen to that myself, because obviously you sent me a recording beforehand as well, I two things straight away came to mind. First of all, I am going to say it again, and we said it, before we started recording, you know, how you eloquently put across some information really broke it down and made it so easy to understand. So thank you for that, because that's a challenge in itself. And, oh, sorry, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't always have the answers. So I didn't know about determinant sentences. I didn't know about... Um, that the law changed in 2022, for example, because everybody's in uproar about these convicted offenders, sexual offenders only serving half their sentence. There was such an uproar that in 2022, the law was amended so that anybody convicted of four years or more now has to serve two thirds of their sentence. So that in itself is the public speaking up saying this ain't right and the law was changed as a result so people power is important and that is something that why we like opening these conversations because no it's not the best top topic to be talking about but it's important because without an awareness how do we learn how can we use our voice and the other thing that I was i and I will say, in some ways, really surprised at the history of his offences. And we're not just talking in one place. We're talking in several countries. And something that we're both very aware of, but I think people underestimate, and that is when someone's convicted of having images. Yeah, sexual abuse images, yeah. Yeah. 
because it's very under very under i was going to say valued but under it's very misunderstood, misunderstood. oh it's only a few pictures yeah. Yeah. because when you're convicted you may be convicted on so many pictures but they don't necessarily include other so you're only getting like the tip of the iceberg what of their offending of their offending yes yeah yeah, yeah. so i i haven't got any proof of this but just patterns that i've sort of observed over time is that offenders will start off with looking at sexual abuse images and some might stay at that level but many don't many then need to bring it to life so that's when their hands-on offending starts and once they start that hands-on offending they can't stop okay um now simon bailey once said when he was you know head of norfolk constabulary and head of Operation Hydrant, and I'm going to be working with Simon Bailey going forward, he once said, we can't arrest our way out of this because it's so prolific. It is so... People think the situation looks like this, and it's not. It's like, it's like this. It's so vast, and it's only getting worse, yeah? So he turned around and said, and every, all survivors were in uproar, including myself, that we can't arrest our way out of this because it's so huge it's so colossal so it's like well okay we're here what you're saying but what are we going to do about it because we can't let it continue because as you said Beverly every single photo is a child's life being ruined every single photo so it doesn't matter if this photo has gone through one hand or many hands that child is traumatised over and over again because of what they're being put through whilst that photograph or video is being taken. But then as they grow up and become aware, that knowledge that those photos and those videos are out there forever in a day doing the rounds. Absolutely. And, and, and this so is traumatic. And when you said that word about not, we can't arrest our way out of this, I've got to say, I felt it in my chest. It was like, yeah. what, we're going to just let everyone just walk away? Yeah, yeah. Is that what we're going to do? Because some people equate that. If there's not um, a guilty verdict, somebody, some people equate that, or they weren't, weren't guilty, guilty until proven innocent. You know, the Internet Watch Foundation, that are the global um, institution that work with partners around the world to try and clamp down on um, child sexual abuse images and videos around the world going viral. Um, they have said the offending is so prolific and it's really hard and it's very labour intensive and it's very cost intensive to nail down every single perpetrator, every single offender that's watching taking part it's so massive that's what Simon meant by we can't arrest our way out of this because it ain't just a small pool of people no. it is so prolific and so prevalent and this is what people need to get their minds around and we need to get our minds around this because there are many children sitting in many bedrooms around the world 
with their parents thinking they're safe. Absolutely. And they're not. The children are not safe. And one thing I always say, because something came up in a group, a a parenting group, and somebody was asking about restrictions on their their child to the internet. And somebody else said, oh, I I don't worry about that, etc. And not in judgment, but I just put back in, would you let your child just walk out of the house and just off they go and then come back? Would you be happy to drop them off into an environment you don't know who's there? Because that's what's happened, what happens when they're online. And this is where, as parents, you know, there are different things that we can do. Although I'm very aware our children know technology a lot better than we do. So I remember um, being able to access the chat logs of my children and seeing something when they were very young, but then they were very quick to find that and switch it off. So it isn't easy, and I'm not saying it is easy. it's not. It's not easy, but we need to be aware, and that's what we do via this. Absolutely. And And the the gaming. Yeah, sorry, carry on. And the gaming fraternity. Absolutely, yeah. Gaming is worse because... And also, it's not just adults out there pretending to be younger so they can befriend our children and then use that situation to their advantage. It's also peer-on-peer abuse as well that's happening. Um, Even in, like, a situation where, let's just say boy-girl, thinking the girl may be thinking that she's in a relationship with this boy, um, boyfriend-girlfriend kind of situation quite innocuous because it happens every single day you know boyfriend girlfriend relationship but then the boy for example saying can I have a picture and the girl thinking oh he loves me you know I want to cement this relationship sends a picture and then that picture then being used against the girl and being sent all around the school for example this is just a little example so that is like peer-on-peer abuse online sexual abuse imagery online And it devastates lives. And we've talked about suicide before. Children and young people are committing suicide over this kind of misuse of power. Yeah. Yeah. And it all comes down to trusting someone, giving that person what they want, and then that person breaking the trust. Yeah. And and I just want to come back to that because um, when we think about language and communication, um, the committing word came from yes. when it was illegal. So yeah. the other way of saying it is they're dying by suicide. Yes. And yeah. it is the biggest growth for children 24 years and under. Wow. Yeah. So that's so, escalating as well. Yeah. So taking a deep breath, because I know that would be very hard for people to hear. And we've spoken about and you've heard quite a bit going on today. So what we're going to do, as we normally like to do, it's not all doom and gloom. We're doing this to raise awareness. And I like your analogy about shining the light on it. Yeah. So now we're shining, shining the light on it. There are actions happening not maybe as quick as we'd like them to, to happen. There is a whole learning worldwide, not just within the UK, not just within communities, but in the family home as well. Yeah, You know, it, we've all got learning 
and we're still learning even though you and I are in this environment we're still learning all the time so before we bring this episode to an end I'd like to focus on some of the positives and I know that sounds a very word strange word after what we've been saying but what are your thoughts about the positives Chris so for me the fact that the light has been shone on something that's been systemic for a very long time and conversations are happening, we are actually seeing action being taken against offenders that are um, committing crimes over and over and they're thinking they're getting away with it and they have got away with it, but now they're not getting away with it. So they're actually being, you know, convicted for their crimes, which is, brilliant and it's also it's every situation once you start shining a light on something it always gets worse there's more and more cases come forward before it gets better but the fact that people being held accountable that in itself sends out a clear message that you can't other people that might be in the background thinking about, oh, I might commit that crime because it's quite an easy thing to do. A message is being sent to them that, yeah, you might want to commit that crime, but actually there's a consequence for doing that. Look what's happening. And actually now we've got a zero tip tolerance approach within this institution and anything that looks like this, this and this, we're not going to tolerate and you will potentially end up in prison or you will lose your job and or both so I think that is clear messaging in itself and that's what creates a culture change and it's and it's a start and we have to start somewhere for anybody listening and they're finding that a they're they're being triggered please look after your self-care if there's somebody that wants to speak out and they've heard this podcast and they want to go and speak to somebody you can contact um people such as the Samaritans, such as the Survivors Alliance. Um, We've got an email, Breaking the Cycle Two Step Forward. We can signpost you if you want to email us and we can signpost you to people that you can go to. You can contact the police. Please don't think that you can't contact the police as well because there will be someone there. And what's important as well is if you have a preference to speak to a woman police officer because you are a woman or you are a man that's been abused by a man you can do that too the same as if you're a man who's been abused by possibly a woman or a man but you prefer to speak to a man you can ask for that too you do have a choice there yeah there was something else I was going to say and it's just gone out of my mind (laughs) (laughs) as always Uh, The other thing I was going to say is for anyone who is aware of somebody who's been abused and they want want to find out more information, the same goes for anyone who's concerned. You know, reach out to the NSPCC, reach out to um, Samaritans. And or there's another charity, Bev, called um, Mozak, which are who are a charity that work with um, the non-offending parent if it took place within the family home. So they can get advice from people or charities like that as well. 
and there are lots of charities we're just yeah. quickly um giving you a message that there is hope here you're not alone um our email once again is breaking the cycle two step forward at gmail.com so if you have any questions we can always forward you signpost you to someone as well so thank you chris for a, a very in-depth episode and conversation but it's a conversation sadly that is necessary but also can bring um, knowledge to people and know that they're not alone and that things are changing yeah and things are changing for the better because it it has to yep because for everybody when the changes are made we become more proactive in protecting our children and vulnerable people and enabling them to live a full life yeah lovely all right then everyone see you in the next podcast thank you very much 